Hello, and welcome to Headcanon. I'm Benjamin Light. And I'm Marco Sparks. And this is episode 13. This week we're doing Star Wars. Topical. <laughs> uh, directed and written by George Lucas, released on the 25th of May, 1977. We kind of like this movie. Mm -hmm. If you were to slice me open, this is like, I don't know, 45% of my DNA. I mean, you know, normally we talk about, you know, like our, our relationship with the material. Have we read the book? That sort of thing. Obviously, we're both big Star Wars fans. I don't even know what else needs to be said. Yeah. When did you first see Star Wars? Uh, I was like seven or eight. Um, was it on, mom, on video? It was on VHS tape. My mm -hmm. mom uh, was going to apparently watch it with me. She had painstakingly taped it from... TV on a marathon mm -hmm. with an eight hour VHS tape, you know, like cutting out the commercials. And uh, she got called into work on her day off. And so she couldn't get a babysitter in time. So she put this on. I don't think that story is true, but uh, that's the version that I've like heard and misremembered over the years has become canon. But uh, she put it on when I was homesick from school. And I, uh, I just was glued to the TV for eight hours. And then it was rounding up like right as she was, uh, Coming back home, my, my life was with a little bit of luck. My life was ruined forever in a great way. <laughs> yeah, I believe I first saw Star Wars at school actually in either like the third or fourth grade. I don't know if it was like a rainy day or why, but you know, back in elementary school, they were just like show you movies some days, probably when the teachers hungover. <laughs> um, so I saw it there. Yeah, my my mother was opposed to Star Wars. She was like, "It's Zen Buddhist," whatever the hell that meant. Uh, so I was not allowed to watch it. So I watched it at school. Thank you, public ed educational system. The, the I, first one, this one. The first one, yeah. The next two, a friend of mine had like his parents had like you know done the painstaking videotape thing only on Betamax. I remember Ooh. they had like the Betamax Empire and Return of the Jedi. So I'd always watch it when I went over to his house. Nice, but yeah, I mean, I was probably I don't know nine, ten. I mean, perfect age to see a Star Wars movie, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, in this one, I should say episode four, new hope is, is probably one of my least favorites really of them. Interesting. Well, the original trilogy, I always ranked it empire Jedi and the new hope. I, I, I would like, if I had to like rewatching, I would almost put, almost put all of the prequels before new hope, my rewatch. Really? Mm -hmm. Hmm. I would disagree with that. When I was young, Jedi was my favorite because when you're a kid, the Ewoks are cool and all like the weird like booby traps they do. But being older, I'd probably still put Empire first, but Star Wars is a very close second. I mean, Empire would be my favorite, but uh, for me, when I was young, I liked Jedi the best only because all of that, that, that juicy setup had been established, you know, and, and the moment like Luke shows up in Jabba's palace, I was just like, oh, shit now it's on like i was just hooked from the opening of jedi on hmm. it was just it was all a movie to me was like all payoff and also there was these weird teddy bear creatures i just remember really loving like the catapults and the like the little like you know lo rolling log traps like stuff like that when i was like you know 10 years old or whatever that just seemed like the greatest thing ever to me like any any sort of weird trap system well for me it was the the speeder bike chase on oh, Endor yeah. was was amazing. Um, 
also that classic Han shrug I'm just flashing back to. But like I feel like with the Ewok village and all that stuff, they they better got to that that fetish of Luke's with the indigenous people surviving over the superior technological advancement of like an empire. Mm-hmm. Much better than than I felt it happened with the uh Gungans. Gungans. It was much more watchable with the Ewoks. Because yeah, they, well, it wasn't it's so much more primitive too. Well, it also didn't look like a like Windows XP background the whole time. <laughs> that like solid green environment. I mean, I'm sure that was for the effects, but I think that took away a lot. On those those like plasma ball things. Yeah, let's well, you know, try not to talk about the prequels too much here. Uh, do you have an opening statement for Star Wars? Uh, I would open my statements with the Schwartz is strong with this movie. Um, this is basically Kurosawa and Joseph Campbell in space. You've got your great archetypes of confined spaces and having adventures and literally carving a new mythology in our cellular culture. Um, I was like rereading a little bit of Michael Arndt's like insanely great endings lecture. And this movie has it all. I, I so the reason this movie is a classic, even if like you look at the flaws of it, it's there's a reason this is still a classic. All right. Yeah, um, I would just say this movie's ridiculously fun. Uh, I haven't watched this in about a year, and I'm also like, kind of wondering like how well these will hold up when I watch them again. I would say this movie totally holds up. Uh, it is delightful. I mean, the pacing and editing to me are, are really phenomenal. I mean, the movie is it's rising and falling like a symphony. I never feel like it's dragging. Uh, not surprising that it won the Oscar for editing because it, it just flies by. Like the other movies we do notes on, it's sometimes like I'll pause it and I'm like, oh my God, you know, like still have like an hour and a half to go. This one, it just flew by. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's the characters are, I think they are what makes this movie work. All Everyone brings their own motivations into the scene. Like it never feels like you're watching a bunch of people kind of spout dialogue to move the scene along or set something up. It feels like you're watching a bunch of like very selfish, self-interested people all trying to do their own thing within the scene. And it has it has a like seventies vibe where everyone is a little you know they're unpretentious. There's not a ton of irony. Um, it's not too meta. No, no, it's it's sincere but kind of irreverent at the same time. I mean, I think we've done twelve movies so far, ranging from bad to great. I feel like this movie is a difference between a great movie and and one of the best movies of all time. Uh, I think there's a lot of kind of cruft built up around the franchise over the years. You can kind of take or leave, but I think just as a single piece of entertainment, this is a great movie. And, you know, all credit given to the editors. I think it's Paul Hirsch, Marsha Lucas, and Richard Chu. They won the Oscar. They make this movie tick. I mean, it's, it's perfectly edited. Marsha Lucas, uh, George's wife at the time. Yes, not anymore. Not anymore, no. Uh, this movie is textbook on, like, how to write the popcorn floor script i mean to bring your characters together in a way that's true like you said they have their own motivations and the key is they don't succeed a lot they fail up quite a bit fail spectacularly yeah that's good screenwriting rule all right well let's talk about our top three moments this is hard just because like everything in this is so iconic uh i guess i'd, I'd say honorable mention for the opening shot with the massive star destroyer that's actually, I put that as my number one. Oh, really? Just because okay. it's so iconic. Well, I'll hold off on that and let you talk about that. Uh, what's your number three? My, well, I'll say my honorable mention, too, would also be the training session on the Falcon with uh, when Han shows up. 
he talks about he's been from one end of the galaxy to another, and ancient religions and all that stuff. Like, he's just like letting his hair down, and he's just gonna like shit on these guys' belief. And it's it's I don't know. Like, there's something about Harrison Ford's performance which is so naturalistic in this otherwise ridiculous mm-hmm. universe. I mean, just the fact that he was the guy who was most at odds with the script that you could write this shit, George, that you sure shit couldn't like say it. Like, he brings something very real to it. Probably he's also the, well, after Mark Hamill, probably like the least trained actor. Um, well, there's something so casual about him. Yeah, he just like shows up and he's like talking shit to like this old man and like this weird kid who's tagging along with him. I would totally believe that like Harrison Ford slept on the Falcon set. He was that at home mm-hmm. there. And and during all of it, like the, the, the not so secret MVP of this fucking movie is Alec Guinness. Uh, oh, yeah. Both. On screen and off, because I feel like the British crew would have probably tarred and feathered George Lucas for real <laughs> if it wasn't for Alec Guinness. But like, he's got this great like bitch please like face as like Han is just shitting on the Jedi culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of Alec Guinness, my number three is, uh, and he says Obi Wan Kenobi. Obi Wan. Now that's the name I've not heard for a long time. Um, just the. The way he kind of has this like wistfulness, mm-hmm. uh, and his his he's perfect in this movie. Like Obi Wan, I mean he I think he got nominated for an Oscar. Uh, Alec Guinness did. He has the perfect blend of kind of mysteriousness, but like there is some like kind of emotion that he's hiding behind everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, a wistfulness. Um, he's everything he says is perfect. Uh, he's a mischievous little old man. Like he's very sly. He is what. Like you need to go watch if you watch episode three, you need to come and watch episode four right after because mm-hmm. he he saves any potential timeline issues by by, how, by lying. Yeah. Well, by how closely his performance plays its cards to its chest. It's amazing how well it works. Like they didn't know Vader was Luke's father when they shot this movie. Right. And Lucas had not decided that yet, and yet he plays it as though he knows that, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Like he he plays it so inscrutably that. You can go back and watch it and be like, oh, yeah, see, he's lying right now. Uh, but, yeah, that that just moment where he kind of recalls his old life. I really like that. My number three would be Obi-Wan and Luke and Obi-Wan's bachelor pad on Tatooine, the viewing Leia's message. <laughs> um, just everything about that, including the, uh, like, Luke's just like, yeah, I tried. That thing is not going to work. And Obi-Wan's like, I seem to have gotten it to work. Mm-hmm. And they watch that, and he hands Luke this very dangerous weapon. <laughs> I, I also love, love the meme where it's like Luke looking right at the lightsaber that's like erupted through his eye. <laughs> I love the uh, he has like a little bit of a crazy old man look when he turns to Luke and he's like, "You must learn the ways of the Force. If you're to come with me." And Luke's just like, "What? Yeah. Well, where do we get to that?" <laughs> it's funny he never expressly tells Luke like you're Force sensitive. Which I think is is an interesting thing when you're first watching this movie because you might think that anybody could grow up to be a Jedi. Yeah, yeah, there is that feeling that the Force is just something that anyone would seemingly have access to, and Luke is just like strong in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that your number two? No, my 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 honorable mention was the uh, them on the Falcon. My number okay. three is the Obi Wan's like bachelor pad. Okay, excellent. All right, um, so my number two is the just the classic Han on the uh the intercom with I don't know whoever in the Death Star in boring car station anyway. No bullshit, that's my number two. I mean it's 
I don't know how it wouldn't make your list somewhere. It's such a perfect, funny moment. Everything's fine here. We're fine. <laughs> how are how you? Are you? <laughs> Supposedly he didn't learn his lines on purpose, so it'd sound kind of naturalistic. Um, I love that scene. That's that's the scene where you're like, man, Han Solo is so goddamn cool. Yeah. I there's a there's a good bit of like cinema history that can be created just from Harrison Ford ad living. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Uh, so my number one is just the the end when Han shows up and blasts the ties off Luke's back so he can you know fire his torpedoes. Mm-hmm. It's just like a. It's like a, a dramatic epiphany, you know. It's, I mean, Luke ex- exhales; we all exhale too. It it almost feels like a moment that like is put back in from test screenings or something, you know. Like it would have been, I think, in 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 like a more modern setting, because it's you don't realize how much it saves you. Like mm-hmm. you absolutely have to have Han going forward. It brings everything together. He's a scoundrel. Yeah, it's a heart of gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have the opening shot as your number I have, one. I mean, the opening shot, like if you have a top five list or a top ten list or something, it has to be on there somewhere. It, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain to like a more modern seasoned audience, but this shot <laughs> is just declaring something. It's just mm-hmm. fucking with your expectations from the very beginning because there's your little ship and there's the start of your star destroyer, and it just keeps fucking going. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm told by my dad that when he saw this in the theater, it was like people just like completely blown away with. And this is one of the first movies to have kind of like surround sound, too. So that like, you could hear the Star Destroyer coming from behind you and then passing overhead. And mm-hmm. it was apparently mind blowing. I mean, just the unending grandeur and like largesse of the evil empire. Mm-hmm. Well, it says everything you need to know about the story right there. You know, mm-hmm. good guys, bad guys, bad, bad guys are guys. huge. Yeah. yeah. Do you know that the uh, design there for the blockade runner was like that was they had that and the Millennium Falcon, the actual Falcon or like the two final designs for the Falcon. Hmm. And they went with the Falcon. Thank God that would this thing would have made a boring Falcon. Well, the Falcon is brilliant because it's such a weird look. Mm-hmm. The fact that the cockpit is all the way on one side. Oh, the design in this movie is absolutely brilliant. I like everything. Well, and, and just in general, like you got Ben Burtt's sound design, but also just the visual design of all the Star Wars movies where half the time, like well, I'm trying to remember, I know I'm talking about the prequels too much. But like my example is the the droid tanks were like the lighting fixtures in the parking lot mm-hmm. at Skywalker Ranch. And they were just like, those look like futuristic tanks. Let's go get those. I mean, the everyday things. I mean, part of Chewbacca, isn't he like Ben Burtt's dog? Like his voice? Um, probably. I mean, Ben Burt would use all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's bears in there. I mean, like if you get the DVDs or any of these movies, like go, go to the special features and just anytime that Ben Burt's mentioned, it's a fascinating <laughs> little trip. Unless you get to episode two when he talks about his percussion in the Joy Factory. I think it's in, there's a long documentary on the Phantom Menace of them making the movie. And I think that has the bit where Lucas is showing how he can like edit two scenes together, like characters, you know, from two different takes together. Mm-hmm. And you can see how like uncomfortable Ben Bird is during that whole thing. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, so I think that wraps up our top three moments. Any complaints? Uh, you know, for the time, it's perfect. 
I mean, there's little things he would probably change in retrospect, uh, just from the age and also like tying into other Star Wars stuff. But mm -hmm. I mean, you could always make the conversation between Darth Vader and, and Obi-Wan like more thrilling, even if you didn't know where it was going. Um, you know, and little things you could take out like you, I wouldn't have him call him Darth. I'd have him call him Vader or Anakin or something, but it, Dude, for the I, most part, I always like the line, only a master of evil Darth. Like it's such a, you know, flash Gordon ish line. Yeah. And isn't that part of this too? We haven't we really talked a lot about the trivia, but uh, like he couldn't get the rights to flash Gordon. So he so, did this. Supposedly. I mean, Lucas, George Lucas will have like a new explanation for things. Every time you do the interview with him, like yeah. things change over time where it's like, Sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, Joseph Campbell all the way. And sometimes it's Flash Gordon. And yeah, so. Well, I would love to see a documentary that's just him on camera every six months having to talk about who shot first. Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you what, uh, there's no shooting first. There's just one person shooting. <laughs> but I mean, like. I want to say there's something on Twitter today about how he's now saying, oh, yeah, Greener Tully shot first. <laughs> he's just trolling at this point. Uh, so one minor is super minor, but the line reading when Han says no reward is worth this is just so bad. Like that's one of those lines of dialogue. I'm sure he hated uh, it. Just it's just the reading is not good. The writing is not good. Um, also, the. The Dianoga, the little monster in the trash compactor, seems mm -hmm. a little bit ridiculous. That to me, like world building wise, feels a little bit out of place that they'd have like these weird like monsters living in their trash compactors. Now, what is the backstory on that? Is it something they purposely put in there, or is it something that you know? Oh God, I'm sure you can head over to the Wikipedia and find like you know the story of that get that monster's life or something. Reading up to that point, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean. I watched the uh, obviously the special feature version. Uh, the the scene they put back in with like CGI Jabba. My complaint there. I mean, you don't really need the scene. Uh, no, it's redundant. It's totally redundant. But also the fucking like pausing to mug for the camera that Boba Fett does. Fucking pa Fett. pause, look at the camera. Yeah, well, that's my number one complaint, which isn't really a complaint against the original movies. Just the goddamn special editions. I just. It's nice that they cleaned up the negative and all, but every single change they made is for the worse. Like every single one. I don't think there's anything you'd say like, oh, they really improved it by like adding in this character or this scene or that. It's very odd. Just the the marriage of like the original 70s dumpy lived in universe mm -hmm. with some <laughs> like of the terrible 1996 CGI. Yeah, like the souped up 1996 CGI. Um yeah, I mean, I, and I would have loved to seen like Lucas's original uh, editing together of like World War II footage for the dogfight stuff with the Death Star. That's not not a complaint. I feel like that's probably on a DVD somewhere. Oh, I hope so. That'd be awesome. But yeah, just I don't know. Every you know, I have the special edition obviously on my computer and iTunes, and it's every time there's like a you can tell like if you I feel like if you showed this movie to somebody who'd never seen it, they would be able to point out like, oh, that was new, right? Yeah. Like it, it totally clashes, just like the styles and everything. It's like, oh, let's put like a bunch of weird like stormtroopers riding around on dinosaurs for some reason. Oh well, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, 
whose job amongst their their boarding party ranks <laughs> is to procure the Banffa yeah. dinosaurs? Like, I, is that like I the that sergeant's job? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, where the fuck are you getting these things? All right. Well, those are my complaints. Um, normally, we talk about uh, source material, but this is a, a unique and interesting franchise where the movie is the source material. I mean, we were just talking before we started recording. I I had a book when I was a kid that was like comparisons of all like Lucas's, you know, like 12 or so different versions of this story mm-hmm. as it progressed. And what, what's on the screen here is the absolute best version. Yeah. Like, you know, the fact that Anakin Starkiller and Luke Skywalker were separate characters who shared screen time in one version. Chewie was a lizard. Han was some kind of alien, too. This is the best version. Well, I think there's something so kind of casual and unforced about the world building that this movie does that modern franchises could really take note on. Like, it, it's so confident that it, it'll throw out an idea like the Clone Wars or the Castle Run, never explain it. And it's just counting on you and your imagination to fill in the blanks on that. Yeah. It's like there's so much off screen movie happening, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of why I think at a, at a fundamental level, the prequels are a bad idea. I think it's just there's. Like whatever people were thinking about in their minds and they heard stuff, stories about the Clone Wars and like Luke's dad. I don't think I feel like you're you're working against somebody's imagination. You're always going to lose. I uh, I just realized this and I never thought about this before. One of the things I love about the prequels is they never mention the Journal of the Wills. <laughs> I mean, the Kyber Crystal, I never expected. I know that was always like the, the rumor of oh, Attack of the Clones, Kyber Crystal. But there's like there's not a single mention of the Journal of the Wills. Yeah. Well, and I, I feel like there's minor timeline issues, too, with it having only been like 18 years since the Clone Wars, Yeah, which helps when like the less detail you give about it, the better. You know, you just kind of like go off the like vague lines that Obi-Wan gave you rather than expanding. I mean, the all the, the source material in this movie is like in reverse where like people went and wrote all these books and comics and video games and, you know, and then they made prequels and cartoons and whatnot to backfill in all of that stuff that normally would be like, Oh, that was in the book. They had to cut it out for the movie. In this case, it's like the reverse. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I always like, you know, setup. you should always leave room for setup for future revelations, but some of it just wasn't great. And then you will see like the, uh, who was the, the producer that he had or whatever on, on this one who then like, Oh, Gary Kurtz is like, like Lucas's 21 movie plan, which, Sounded fucking ridiculous. Queen Leia has a hard time with the burden of ruling. It's like the episode seven synopsis or something. Well, I'm sure like Lucas is just like drinking with him one night and came up with that. Like Lucas changes his mind a lot as a thing. So yeah. you can, you know, once upon a time it was supposed to be nine movies. And then it was like, no, no, we're only doing six. And now, of course, we're going to have Star Wars for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Well, when, I mean, the thing that I always love that from the apocryphal versions is the rumor was that episode three would end with uh, Amidala or mm-hmm. Padme or whatever, giving birth to three kids. Triplets. And that was going to be the focus of the third trilogy was like the lost Skywalker kid, which is awesome, I think. Um, probably would not have been executed great. Yeah, I mean, I would have worked better if you weren't picking up like, you know, 30 years later. But yeah, sure. He would have never gotten the majesty that is Kylo Ren. Yeah. Well, you know, in various interviews, J.J. Abrams has talked about how he 
wanted to suggest a larger story in The Force Awakens without focusing too much on the details. And to me, that's like super refreshing. I'm, I think this movie does that perfectly. And I'm really curious to see, is it even possible for a modern movie to do that when people are so used to having everything explained to them? Well, I think, you know, no, no shit talking about the prequels. So far, it seems like J.J. Abrams has learned all the right lessons from the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, like 30 years on, I want to feel like that universe is lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be, I'm sure, very nice areas that are polished and clean and, and, and pretty. And then there will be like dumps in the universe like Jakku. <laughs> Which I, I wonder if Jakku is like, like a new name for basically Tatooine? Uh, it does not seem to be the case, I can tell you that. They, they release like a galaxy map or whatever, and both oh, okay. Tatooine and Jakku are on there. Okay. Uh, anyway, let's uh, just move into our general discussion here. Uh, in the opening legend, I love the random capitalization. Death Star, all caps. And you're just, yeah, you the see crawl. that, you're like, you're like, holy shit. <laughs> and That's just the most the, sci-fi thing ever. Just the idea that it starts in episode four. Uh, it did not originally used to say A New Hope, but it did say Episode 4. Yeah. Um, just to let you know that like this is this weird saga we're coming into in the middle of. Mm-hmm. Death Star, all caps. You know what I love in this movie is the way the humans treat the droids. Yeah. <laughs> like total shit. <laughs> like, yeah. like 3PO is like, doing his like, sales pitch, which is such a weird thing because they're kind of like slaves, basically. Yeah. But he's like hyping himself to, uh, to Uncle Owen there, and o- uh, Owen's just like, all right, shut up. Yeah, the seriously lower class. Well, I mean, just the existential heaviness of we were made to suffer. It must be our lot in life. <laughs> and you get like kidnapped by Jawas and then you have to like sell yourself to some random dude. Well, and you're just you're just pitching yourself. Like, what is the best possible survival? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're my current like slave master. You probably won't be the one I have forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, five minutes ago, I belonged to the captain of some ship. Well, I think they get a ton of mileage out of like the non-English speaking characters like R2 and Chewie. Yeah. I, I really love the way that it's like, you know, like there's like a growl or a beep and then like the other character just reacts to that. It's it's really fun, like comic writing to do stuff like that. Well, and I love the R2, like it seems like it's never even. Um, there's no consistency. It's like sometimes his beeps and howls and stuff like they pick up on like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it's like Luke has to read or have it translated for him. I love that. Um, the same thing with Chewie. Yeah. I mean, you can catch the the like outtakes or whatever where like uh, Peter Mayhew's delivering actual lines of dialogue. Like, that old man's bonkers. But, you know, it certainly takes away from the, the mystery of that character. Well, I think it just it makes it so much fun because Chewie will just growl and Han will just be like, oh, you said it, Chewie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, especially when you get to Empire and just like laugh it up, fuzzball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, from the very beginning, I want to hear more about Leia's previous escapes. Like, does she get by previously just because of like diplomatic immunity and her missions of mercy? I guess. She, I mean, she shoots to kill. She just, I mean, like, kills that one stormtrooper. But I mean, like, Vader is just like, is he just been like had his hands tied by red tape prior to this? possibly yeah there will be no one to stop us this time i'm so curious about that it's just like diplomatic immunity can't search me <sighs> I, I really like the way r2 cons his way out of his restraining bolt yeah i like oh uh maybe i could play that message back if you turn my restraining bolt off well just the the visual sound like is the skeleton of the great beast on on tattooing is that a special edition thing no no that's all has been there it's still there actually they left the prop there 
Fantastic. Somewhere in Tunisia. Well, I mean, I love that this movie is so bold. Like you were saying, 10 minutes in, there's a scene that's pretty much like R2 and C3PO and other droids. Mm-hmm. And like R2's like incredibly expressive scream when attacked by the Jawas is so effective. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, kind of coos like a baby here and there so that you know R2's emotional state, even though it's a robot. Yeah. I wonder how much R2 will be in this, in the new one with like BB-8, like dominating. I feel like R2 is not going to like BB-8. No. Like stepping on its turf. Yeah. Um, some oh, of the droids the Jawas sell look cheap as fuck. One very thing, when like Leia shoots that one stormtrooper and takes off, the stun ray, the effect on that, or just like that weird blue circle, that has bothered me for, you know, like 20 something years, however long it seems to me. I can't believe they didn't change that in special edition. Yeah. It's like you you don't have a better stun ray than that. Of all the things they could have changed, they didn't change that. Oh, and you never see it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, never. No one else ever shoots the stun. <laughs> Han does not shoot the stun. <laughs> oh man, three PO is such a wonderful dick to R two. Like, I I remember when I saw this in the theater for the special editions, like the first time I'd seen it with an audience. And the three PO R two stuff killed. Like it's way funnier, and when you're like in the theater with an audience and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about the the layout, the architecture of Owen and Baru's home? What exactly do you mean? Like the way it's underground, kind of. Well, I mean, like you know, if you weren't like in the middle of the fucking desert, would you live in a home like that? Um, I don't know. It's kind of cool. I think so. I mean, it's like a, a luxury agrarian hovel. I mean, it's like Outback Shire luxury. I mean, I, you have like, like your courtyard type stuff, yeah. Sci-fi architecture. I mean, it looks like it's 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 expansive to a certain degree. I mean, I'm kind of worried like if a sandstorm like blows a wave of like shit into that hole. But I almost figured it could like cover up or something. I figured that was like part of its function. I don't know. That makes a lot of sense. I always thought it was interesting that Owen needs a droid who basically negotiates in binary binary with his machines. <laughs> I know. Well, this movie's so like anti technical, like or, or like you know anti computer. Everything's kind of mechanical. Yeah. Well, <laughs> real quick, just so I can shit on Owen and Baru a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Moisture farmers. That seems low on the food chain. Well, what do they do? Do they just get water? Or they? I mean, there's there's crops. I guess they're. You know, there's a harvest. There's a harvest, yeah. Whatever water, that means. Water harvest. What a shitty life. I mean, I guess we're supposed to, you know, identify with Luke's longing to get off this awful place. But uh, I love that one of the droids has a bad motivator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, the brilliance of this movie is when they first like acquire these two droids, they cut away right before R2 has to navigate those steps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I do like the way we're introduced to Luke. You know, it's like 17 minutes in the movie. And it's like, oh, they're just, like, walking out there with Owen. Like, you don't immediately realize until, like, the camera kind of, like, frames him that, like, oh, we should pay attention to this kid. Yeah. He's just a normal kid, potentially. Mm -hmm. Well, Owen is so horrible at trying to dispel Luke's interest. He straight up says, that wizard's just a crazy old man. Mm -hmm. And that only inspires more curiosity in me. Yeah, well, especially when he's just, like, told you to forget it. It's like, "Mm, definitely not forgetting it now. I mean, is Wizard, is that ever really a diss? No, I don't think so. Just the Sandcrawler. Such a weird, bizarre, cool design. The Like the giant Jawa vehicle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, it looks like it's going to like tip forward at any point. 
It's like something out of like Mad Max, I feel like. But uh and then you get like John Williams like binary star music, in case you somehow weren't aware of this film's amazing pedigree. The binary sunset, yeah. Classic, classic scene. Um Yeah, I'm just looking at the video right now. Like, I mean, there's so much, there's so many times in this movie where it's like, oh, if, you know, that R2 unit hadn't blown his motivator, like, you know, there goes the movie type stuff. Yeah. Uh, I want to say that I could be making this up, but I think in one of the books, they like explain that that other R2 unit like purposely blew his motivator to like help R2 on his mission or something like that. That is so dumb. (laughs) I know. I know. Uh, That's Star Wars novels for you. That is so fucking dumb. Um. (laughs) <laughs> I like that when Luke goes to like find R2 and find Obi-Wan he just refers to them as the sand people <laughs> like like you would think that this is a scene where Luke's pretty much just like he's made the mistake of driving into the wrong hood basically yeah <laughs> he's just going to be carjacked here by the Tusken <laughs> Raiders who I always love these guys like they're so awesome like the cheering they do with their rifles over their heads they just seem like like they know how to party and then Obi-Wan shows up with this like weird like dragging call to scare them off. Oh, and that walk with the arms waving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. What do you think about the land speeder? Uh, I mean, I guess that, that seems like a like a futuristic like desert sports car. I'm always confused when Luke's just like hit the accelerator, like Aren't you driving? Did he let three yeah. PO drive? Yeah. Was he like, nah, you drive. I, I'm I'm shaking one off. Yeah, I mean, how much driving is really involved, too? Yeah, I don't know. Well, and like Luke is kind of a hick. Like he has a basically a gun rack on that thing. Yeah. And like the sand people show up, and he just like wants to go grab his rifle and like spy on them. Yeah. Which seems ill advised. Well, I mean, all of this stuff he talks about in his past, like his past of Biggs, mm-hmm. like, yeah, they just seem like these dumb rednecks. I mean, I feel like they basically are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, sand people just start tearing, tearing his uh, speeder apart. Love that. Well, it's funny is that, so we, we've talked about these movies before on our Star Wars podcast, and I don't think we could ever get quite get over how, like, the, the Skywalker family on Tatooine is dirt poor. Mm-hmm. Dirt poor, potentially like massively uneducated. What school is Luke going to? Like, do they even have? I mean, I guess Luke has like you know a couple friends there. Like, do Owen and Aunt Beru even have friends? Like, that seems like a pretty solitary life out there. I, I have go into Tashi Station. Yeah, I mean, I have. I think you have to ponder like, are we post Owen and Beru's like swinger phase of their marriage? Probably, yeah. It's funny that this guy used to be that asshole joel edgerton <laughs> well you know that that line about tashi stations always derided as like oh like that's terrible mark hamill like whiny luke reading but I, I i always read it and i feel like you're supposed to intuit that he's lying and like he he wasn't actually going to tashi station because owen's just like you can waste time with your friends when your chores are done like he knows that like luke is making that up that he really wants to go hang out with his friends there's that but for all we know, Tashi Station's where his friends are, and it's just a fucking happening place. Yeah, could be. It's like, that's like a weekend in the city. Picking up power converters, that's what you do on Tatooine. Yeah, that's that's a euphemism for something. Well, I know, and there's originally, like, more scenes with, like, his friends where, he, like, he has a crush on this one girl, but, like, she's, like, dating some other guy. It all sounded very 70s. 
<laughs> from the guy who brought you American Graffiti. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually we get to Mos Eisley and meet Han Solo, who's the coolest guy ever. Yeah, yeah. Also, I have in my notes here that Darth Vader actually says technological terror. <laughs> the the cyborg says that alliteration. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite kind of hobbies when I watch these movies is to just like watch all of the random like British extras and like bit players in the background. Mm-hmm. Like, you can, there's just something really hilarious about their appearance. They all have like sideburns and yeah, like. These like in a Hollywood movie now, everybody'd be like, you know, super attractive. But these are just like these random, like schlubby people in the background. Well, just wait till we get to the fucking like X-wing pilots. Oh yeah, they are fucking gross. <laughs> the problem, I mean, first of all, the one guy is so hideous. His name is Porkins. Uh, oh, the closest fucking to Porkins. like like an attractive dude is Biggs, Biggs Darklighter, who looks and has the name of like a seventies porn star. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, back on Tatooine, are the stormtroopers actually trying to frame the Tusken Raiders for like the Jawa massacre? I guess. I mean, I guess they, uh, like, why did they do that exactly? Uh, well, I was like, is this just a thing that happened? And then, like, these idiots just interpret it as that. But, like, another reason to love this movie, they fucking go there and they show you Owen and Baru's charred <laughs> skeletons. Yeah. Oh, and, like, it all the dead Jawas. Yeah, yeah, the skeletons, dead Jawas, and that's another thing where they they never really explain it, and you can wonder like, why did the stormtroopers masquerade as like you know sand people? Yeah, whatever. Don't ask too many questions. You know, we're yeah. moving on to the next scene. Well, is it just that they had like the like desert dinos and they had blasters, and therefore you just assume? Like, did it go bad, or like, are they basically like the like version of like you know over aggressive cops or something where like they're interrogating the Jawas and like one of them just starts shooting people to have to cover it up? Hey Carl, what part of take one of them alive did you not understand? <laughs> God damn it! Now we got to fake this scene. Yeah, where's your drop gun? Yeah, exactly. They all have like their interstellar drop guns. Well, also Darth Vader. Like this is not this is not a good movie necessarily for the legend of Darth Vader. <laughs> His tortured methods really require that floating black orb with a hypodermic needle that orb is scary man it is scary but like you know somewhere in this movie he crushed a dude's throat just by like <laughs> squeezing his fist together uh, very true but yeah luke gets over his family's violent murder i'd say quicker than usual he's like never really liked him anyway yeah on uh, to better things which speaking of which so we always bring up uh, the greatest headcanon ever for how Obi-Wan knows most likely so well in that demon. Yeah, so I can't take credit for this. This is John Gruber has a podcast where he talked about this, where the reason uh, the reason Obi-Wan appears to have aged 40 years in the, the tw- you know half the time is because he hangs out in this bar every single day and just drinks all day long. That's how he knows everyone there. That's why he looks like he's got some city miles on him. Yeah. I like that headcanon. Rewatching the cantina scene last night, I absolutely forgot about the dude with the scrotum chin. Uh, which guy? The one who's with the uh, uh he doesn't like you. I don't like oh, you. Oh, Baba? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, such a weird menagerie. I mean, this scene, like other filmmakers have been trying to do their version of the scene ever since, basically. Yeah. Just it's like throwing down the gauntlet, like how weird can we be? Well, I think Lucas included. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely look as But, I mean, the thing, too, it's not just, like, you know, take in all of the extras and appreciate their weirdness, their 70s, their design. This cantina also seems to be quite the sausage fest. There's a couple chicks. The Tonica sisters. They have yeah. their whole backstory. <laughs> Did you ever read the uh, Tales from the Most Icy Cantina book? No, give me the most interesting backstory of one of the uh, inhabitants of this bar. Um, so the, the Tonica sisters there, the, the two chicks, they are actually not the Tonica sisters. They're like these, like, I don't know, like, you know, badass bodyguards, like in disguise there or something like that. Cause they're supposed to like meet a rebel to sell them something to do with the Death Star. Like, I mean, every single one of these stupid characters has like a crazy backstory. So of all the EU novelized canon, like, on your nerd scale like what mm-hmm. have you read like 85 percent of it i had not read any of the clone wars era stuff i just i'm out on that so so like 85 percent of it yeah <laughs> yeah or way too much so here's one the uh the guy just like the random dude with sideburns who obi-wan's talking to and mm-hmm. kind of like points to behind him and takes off mm-hmm. that guy is like apparently some other smuggler who beat han solo's uh 12 parsec like a time limit or you know distance limit or whatever on the Kessel Run. Okay. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff you get when you read the books. Dumb stuff like that. I know that people have these like uh, ridiculous things about like Tom or uh, Han like using a uh, uh, like folding space time to like to make the Kessel Run black holes. Yeah. I just always assume that it's like there's requirements that you're supposed to fulfill or whatever, and he managed to do it in less space than everyone else. Yeah, well, kind of using black holes. I mean, the, the real headcanon is to say that Han Solo is making some shit up to see how they react to it. Mm. Um, also, this bar is, is, is anti-droid. The yeah. bartender is like xenophobic against droids. And also, just that bartender. Jesus. Where did they well, find that guy? On, yeah. Not, uh, not big on customer service. On one hand, I get the whole, like, it's not like they're going to be buying a drink anyway. But it's not like they're taking up that much space. Yeah, really. Well, just that like sneer he gives Luke. Like the first thing Luke wants to do when he gets to like the big fancy bar is just order a beer. Mm. His first. Mm-hmm. He's not twenty-one yet. No, I think he's supposed to be like eighteen. So, or at, at the most twenty. Uh, Jabba has a bounty so high on Han's head that every bounty hunter in the galaxy will be looking for them. So Han is chilling on the same planet as Jabba. Mm-hmm. As you do. <laughs> Well, Han's just such an awesome dude. Like the way he pays the bartender for the mess. I mean, that just tells you everything you need to know about him. Oh, that's yeah. That's that's the first like to me like super killer moment. Like that solidifies Han for me. When it be, when it's like it's like the genuine moment of like this is a great sci-fi western. And yeah, it's, it's just it's pure like pure gunslinger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. For a lot of people, like coming back to this movie, you forget about how how much space like just in the empire like tarkin assumes mm-hmm. that he's essentially like in charge of vader in a way and on this seems mission to be. he seems to be yeah but i think this is where those things were like the prequels could be necessary because i mean you've got tarkin and then you've got like hayden christensen you know who's such a whiner like who do you want to be in charge <laughs> yeah Oh, but yeah, when they walk out of the uh, cantina and all that stuff, I completely forgot about that white droid who looks like a fucking robo-psychopath. Oh, that thing's in um, the Sandcrawler, too. They, like, reuse that. Well, like, what is the mental health situation for droids? (laughs) 
I mean, he looks deranged. Oh, can I talk about something that's always like drove me nuts when I watch this movie? Is the three uh, uh, PO and R two? They're like, oh, lock the door, R two, and so they like hide in this door, and the stormtroopers come by and they knock, oh. and the guy's like, door's locked. Move on to the next one. It's like, yeah. what the hell kind of search is that? Yeah, that seems like a pretty poor search. You're you're not going to find anyone if you just like move on and the door's locked. Well, I mean, Tatooine's a toilet anyway. Yeah, but I have to wonder. In the original trilogy, the only times you really see other worlds is like the special edition stuff, you know, the end of Jedi. Like, on Coruscant, is your life really that bad? Is it like the capital from Hunger Games? You know, like, like I get that the, the Stormtroopers are going to be shitty to you, you know, in on Tatooine, but you're a fucking, like, like, nightmare garbage person anyway. Like, I don't know. It's Yeah, these are lazy Stormtroopers, but I just wonder, like, on the whole, sure, it's run by evil dudes. But are are the empire rules? So is it so bad? You know what I mean. Like like the whole philosophy that that Hayden Christensen has or Anakin has. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. I I wonder like like the philosophical debate if you took random people from different worlds within the empire. I mean, I, I figure they're probably just the equivalent of like like I don't know corrupt cops. I guess you know like they just I like guess I'm just show I'm up and push people around. I'm wondering about the society as a whole. Like, granted, yeah, it's not a good thing when your empire just your your emperor just randomly suspends the senate. Mm-hmm. But it's like if you live on planet like like Jackoff Nine, are you like, well, one day we're the uh, <laughs> we're like whatever became before, and now we're the empire? And well, I think it looked that different to me. I think for these outer territory planets, you probably don't interact with the empire that much. But it's like, what are you going to do when they show up? You can't oppose them. No. You know, like like Vader threatening to leave a garrison on Cloud City. It's like they were seemingly didn't have any like direct interaction with the Empire before that, and they like to keep it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just looking at the second Java scene they put in, or you know, second second scene of them saying the same dialogue essentially. Like he has some of the same dialogue from the Greedo scene here. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, there's a reason he cut this, George. Well, like yeah, well, the guy was always a placeholder anyway. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, talk about like uh, intergalactic hobo look. <laughs> yeah, the but, original uh, Java. Yeah, but the line that always seems odd to me is that if you never intended to leave the human guy in there, mm-hmm. and then Han says you're a terrific human being, Java. Is that Han just like sticking it to him in a way? I, I guess that's how we're supposed to read it. Yeah. Like Han's got this great xenophobic slur. What a piece of junk. Luke is super annoying during the escape from Tatooine. Yeah. He's just like, what's this? What's that? What's that flashing? It's like, shut the fuck up and sit down. (laughs) I wanted him to like pull off one of his own socks and like tell Luke to shove it in his Mm -hmm. mouth. I like how like when they're piloting the Falcon, Han's always like getting up to like, you know, change some instrument behind them, something like that. Like the Falcon... It's it's not like you're just in a cockpit there. There's all sorts of stuff to do. So the Entertainment Weekly article about Force Awakens, like the cover issue from a few weeks ago, like uh, Oscar Isaac asking Harrison Ford <laughs> about switches and stuff, and and him like Harrison Ford being classically surly to him, and then like Daisy Ridley asking, and he just kind of like, I can't really tell you what everything does, but it all has a purpose, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to click that in order to click that. Well, he really makes it seem like he's doing something there when you're yeah. watching it, you know, yeah. like reach behind him, flicking something. It looks very intent. Like it looks very natural. Like, oh, yeah, he knows what he's doing. 
I mean, I fully believe that you do need to wait for the coordinates from the nav computer. Mm-hmm. It's not like crop dusting. Um, yeah, so Leia on the uh, Death Star, she slices away immediately, like going right into Tarkin's foul stench. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tarkin's some shit. I mean, I, and I guess that we can assume that Tarkin's theoretically in charge, although it's like, I don't know how how much you could ever overrule somebody like Vader right? without him just doing what he wants anyway. I guess they just have a positive working relationship. Leia not super broken up about Alderaan being destroyed. Not after the initial, no. She's a little bummed, yeah. But really? I mean, yeah, she mouths off and she's just like, call the cops, I don't give a shit. <laughs> a princess bitch. Well, and then you have like the hollow chess, which is like another great little world building thing. It's like never really explained why they're doing this. It's like, oh, they're just playing some kind of chess or whatever. Well, I mean, so real quick too, like, Oh, I have this literally in a minute. Sorry. Um, yeah, like it's fascinating how long this movie goes on before like Leia meets up with Han and Luke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely in the second hour before that happens. But yeah, Hollow Chest. I mean, that whole lounge area. You know, from a '70s standpoint, that's pretty cool. I would have traded in my like living room mm-hmm. for that lounge. But yeah, like, are Han and Chewie like just playing that game ad nauseum? Like. Yeah, is it something they only play with like passengers because they're bored or something? Yeah, I mean, was I don't think Han's ever winning a game. All yeah, the yeah, maybe it's Chewie just was like waiting for somebody to play it with, and he's playing it with R two of all people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is like you know a computer basically, but the the chessboard itself like seemingly you, you still need to play against someone else. Yeah, even though it's holographic, um, I really like how how committed Han is to killing this TIE fighter when they come out at Alderaan and like run into the TIE fighter. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, he won't be telling anyone about us. It's like just on principle or something. Well, I mean, he's got to save his own neck. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. obviously had experience outrunning the Imperial cruisers, you know, those big Corellian numbers anyway. (sighs) I mean, I love that little world building though, that these are the the Corellian ones. Mm -hmm. That's the real deal with kids. I mean, like, if you've never seen any other Star Wars movie, you're, that's just one of those things. Like, this seems like such a real place, a real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, never explained. It's just kind of dangled there for you to kind of wonder about. Uh, you know, people talk about the Stormtroopers being bad shots, but watch Han and Chewie when they're on the Death Star. They cannot hit the broadside of the barn. I mean, they're just like spraying, spraying blaster bolts everywhere. Yeah. Doesn't seem like it should be that hard. Mm-hmm. I think one of the best things about this whole kind of galaxy is that their capacity for bullshit is just as vast as ours. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's kind of bullshitting, running like a half-ass con <clears throat> constantly. Mm-hmm. Like R two with Luke and, and like three PO with the stormtroopers. It's just like, oh, uh, all this excitement has overloaded my counterpart. Like, like everybody's just conning and like it's very seedier pants, like making it up as you go. Well, the rescue of Princess Leia should not go off as easily as it does in <laughs> retrospect. Well, it's so, like, insanely bold. You know, it's like, it's totally half-assed. It's like, oh, we'll just pretend we're there to transfer a prisoner or something. You know, right. what's, what comes after that, we haven't planned that far ahead. Don't well, I mean, I guess you, you could make the excuse that the Empire's never, never had to, like, be defied in such mm-hmm. a nature. No one would ever dare to do this. Yeah. Yeah, um, in the middle of this like gigantic battle station. Uh, this technological terror. I mean, are the troops used to Vader starting sentences and then wandering off? Probably. Or like, 
are they just thankful when he's out of the room? Yeah, I think they're just like, I don't even mind. He just left. Like, is Stormtrooper Carl like, honestly, guys, I've started wearing a diaper underneath this outfit just because of that guy. Well, I feel like when you watch this movie, you get that vibe with the Stormtroopers. Like, the Stormtroopers are all about not doing their jobs whenever they can. Yeah, yeah. Like, they well, see, I, like, Vader fighting uh, Obi-Wan. They're just like, oh, let's go check this out. Whenever I think about the Stormtroopers, I think back oddly enough to to Quan of Solace. And there's that thing where somebody found out that there's the extra behind Daniel Craig who's sweeping, like, the air. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. he's an extra. Like, so he, <laughs> no one's watching him too closely. But, yeah, Luke gets into this action pretty quickly. Like, he is ready to just, like, throw down with these assholes. Um, also, anytime someone says, your destiny lays on a different path than mine, that means that they're not coming back. Yeah, yeah really. Well, you know, it's funny. I've been seeing various people complain online about Finn and Ray and The Force Awakens and, like, whether or not they will have had enough training to, like, do whatever they're required to do in the movie. Watch this movie, yeah. Yeah, seriously. Luke Luke is just some idiot hick, and he's just running around with blasters now. He's flying. Uh, you, this is Star Wars, and I feel like you don't want to think about, like, man, that must have been four years at the Academy learned to fly like that. Like, no, it's Star Wars. They want you to be in the mindset of, like, oh, I could just jump into an X-Wing myself and do okay. Exactly. exactly. Well, like, theoretically, <laughs> Luke doesn't even have, like, pod racing experience. No, he doesn't appear to have had any kind of, like, a space experience, you know, maybe, like, flying around in atmosphere. But, yeah, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, later, like, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, when the guy's just like, you sure you can handle one of these X-Wings, kid? And, like, Biggs is like, oh, Luke? Jerk off, jerk off, jerk off motion. And then the guy's like, all right, kid, good luck. Yeah, it was the line. He's, uh, I, I wrote this down because it was hilarious. But yeah, Gold Leader there, he's like, oh, he's the best bush pilot in the Outer Territories. And the guy's just like, good enough for me. Yeah. Like, like, the rebellion, like, do you even have ranks? It's like everybody just does what he wants. Are they all drunk? Yeah, you're all either a commander or a general, and these uh, these X-Wings, which probably cost millions of credits. <laughs> I think I saw somewhere they, like, explained that, like, the X-Wing was, like, Luke's reward for rescuing Leia. I like it better that he just showed up, so they gave him an X-Wing. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, oh, yeah, you want to fight with us? Here you go. Well, here's the thing about the X-Wing squadrons. I imagine there's always a vacancy. Mm-hmm. I mean, look how many like lives they throw into the fire on this raid. Anyway, I like the I like the little meme on the internet that uh, Darth Vader hasn't felt a tremor in the force since his former master maimed him and threw him in a volcano. <laughs> and it just waters off. So yeah, it's a familiar tickle. Um, yeah, thank God Leia shows up to save these guys' asses. Yeah, I mean Leia is an interesting character. And on the one hand, she's the, like the one of two women in the movie, and the other one's Aunt Brew. Uh, not a lot of female presence in this movie. It seems like, you know, I, I didn't live at the time, but for the time, she seems at least somewhat progressive. Yeah. Um, she, I mean, she's, you know, the damsel, obviously, with the, the ultimate damsel line, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, but mm -hmm. at least she has a little bit of that, like, kind of 70s, you know, second wave feminism spunk going on. Well, what is it, Han's, like, super shitty line, like, uh, if we could like get a few like less uh, like female suggestions or whatever, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, what I what I always loved about like Spaceballs is that mm -hmm. Daphne Zuniga is basically playing Leia exactly. The only like really shitty line as far as progressive is that she doesn't get involved until like the shot hits her hair. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, it's like when Leia shoots out the vent and Han is just like 
stupefied. What the fuck are you doing? And she's like, saving our lives, asshole. Well, she has this like supreme like arrogance, you know, like a princess's arrogance. Like, but I can't can, believe I had to do this myself. But she can back it up. Though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you might argue that in some ways she's a lot more effective. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She gets shit done. Um, I just watched it. Sorry, I'm just watching this one little scene where they get in the elevator when they're taking Chewie up to the prison level. And, like, Han's, like, trying to wave the other guy in yeah. like, as he passes by. It's so, like, everything is seat of your pants in this movie. I really well, love it. It's a nice metaphor for just, like, how much Han is an outsider, though. Mm-hmm. Like, he, like, the conformity is the thing he struggles with. <laughs> um, In the trash compactor scene, I... I completely forgot about this line. I don't know how. This is like my new favorite line ever. When the, the walls are coming in mm-hmm. and Han yells, one thing's for sure, we're all going to be a lot thinner. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, God. It's it's like it shouldn't be as like wonderful and hilarious to me as it is. Also, Obi-Wan just, just roams the halls of the Death Star for like an hour. He just wanders around. He just knows how to like wait till people pass by. Like, well, I think he would seriously stand out. I guess he's just, he's that good that he just senses where people are and, you know, just ducks down hallways and or whatnot. Or he just he throws a lot of pebbles in that direction. Yeah. So people look, he just scurries past. I was always annoyed, though, that the Jedi dress like this in the prequels. Yeah, I know. It's it, it, That always seemed like a Tatooine look and not like every fucking Jedi dresses that way. Because, I mean, essentially Luke sort of dresses that way. A little Even, bit, yeah. Him and Uncle Owen kind of dress similarly. I mean, Baru dresses like every 70s mom ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, those lapels are wild. Um, also, architecturally, a lot of long drops into deadly chasms as a design aesthetic in the Death Star. Yeah, the where you turn off the tractor beam. Yeah. The ocean did not clear that. No, no. Not, not a big fan of, like, handrails. <laughs> no. No, indeed. So I, let's see. That's our good. I was like, yeah. I mean, knowing everything we know now, that's one of my add-ons would have been Obi Wan possibly saying Anakin, you know, when he confronts Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah. I guess that would kind of make sense. I mean, there, there's like a although that would give everything away, obviously, or something. But I mean, there's a level of emotional resonance there that definitely could have been added, especially considering how heartbroken Obi Wan is to walk away from his burning padawan in that mm-hmm. volcano slope um but i could i could listen to luke and han undercut each other's chances of leia forever oh my god that seems hilarious but yeah the i love the way the stormtroopers take off to watch the lightsaber fight yeah like they're just like oh let's go check this out yeah this is cool yeah <laughs> and then the the scene in the quad turret quad turrets when they're fighting out the ties i mean i don't think any of us will ever be as cool as han solo is in that scene yeah Great shot, kid. I just love the way he kind of like smiles after Luke like shoots one, and you know he's he's always just like a little adjusting something. You know, he's like just turning a little knob or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like that they have you know the trailer. You can see that Finn does something very similar to this in like Force Awakens, mm-hmm. and it just it seems like such a cool idea that somebody who grew up watching these movies could then like essentially go on this ride. Yeah, I know. You know, and it's. it's Thank God that they're including people who aren't solely like white males in the new movies. Um, yeah. Well, man, those quad turrets. I always wonder. You see them 
they get in and there's like different gravity in that part of the ship, you know, they like climb down a ladder and suddenly they're like facing a different direction. It doesn't seem like the Falcon is tall enough. No. You know, I mean, I, it's I like, don't think about it too hard. Yeah. Yeah. The Falcon's kind of a magic ship when you think about like the, the geometry of it. Well, I mean, cause if you get into that too, then you have to get into like the weird computer graphics that they have mm-hmm. for various <laughs> operating systems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they have to like, they can't just like fire at a tie. They have to like get it on their little, computer thing yeah even though i would almost make the argument that like you're eyeballing it probably mm-hmm. seems more accurate than that computer readout seriously um i love that the the old temple as a rebel base in the island four it's never explained um but i always i cannot watch this movie ever without pondering like what exactly are the propulsion systems on the death star or like how does it get there well, like, how does it how does it move? How does it move from like star system to star system, from like solar system to solar system? Well, it's seemingly there's like engines that we just never see it from that angle or something. You, I mean, that's a big fucking like rock to yeah. move through hyperspace. Yeah. Well, they get to Yavin there, and the the commander is like, "Oh, sorry," and Leia's just like, "We had no time for our stars, commander." She's so ice cold. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally, well, your entire planet just blew up. Well, also, does it seem like the Rebellion has more generals and, like, military uh, major domos than, like, pilots? Well, I think that they just make everyone a general when they show up. It seems like there's more people in that that's like they're recruiting. center they're than there recruiting. are in cockpits. Yeah, I think that's their, how they recruit. They just make you general. Yeah. And you don't figure out till later that, like, generals don't mean the same thing. Um, but, yeah, that... The bit in the cockpit of the Falcon when Luke's kind of like trying to see if Han's into Leia, it's almost as though Han decides he's going to be into Leia after discovering that Luke's into her. You know, yeah, yeah. just that that smarmy smile on his face. He's just like, hey, hey, yeah, I know what's up. Well, I mean, I would have I would have watched easily another five minutes of those two like advancing and retreating based mm-hmm. on each other's reactions. I would have loved to have like Leia just like down the hallway listening snickering well luke is such a little dork too yeah like oh good i mean and and i read skywalking which is like the unauthorized backstory on a lot of lucas's films the chapters on a new hope are fascinating um just the 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 turmoil that george lucas went through (laughs) and just like how shitty everyone was to carrie fisher i think you can more than likely say that the production of this movie directly like contributed to her cocaine addiction I mean, I don't want to go that far, but obviously, like being a young movie star in the seventies didn't help things. Well, just the exploitation and like pouncing upon her sexuality in parts of this movie. Um, I like that. Vader well, Lucas is the one who insisted that bras didn't exist in Galaxy Far, Far Away. I like that Vader's the only one that has like the Tie Fighter with the very interesting wing shape. Of course, he gets a special tie. Yeah. I want to know when they go to Yavin. This like dude who's in this weird little like. I don't even know what to call this. It's like raised little cup that he's like hanging out in. Yeah. How does he get up there? Like what, what is, what is going on there? What does that thing do? Well, I mean, do you need a lookout? Like, do you not have some kind of sensors or cameras? No, I guess not. I mean, is the rebellion that poor? <laughs> and then you get the, the pilot's briefing, which they just let Han sit in on. Yeah. He's just hanging out with Chewie. It's a very, you know, un unprofessional operation they have going. They're not well, too concerned about like secrets or anything. This is their secret base. Yeah. They just let Han hang out in. 
Well, it upsets me when you think about how potentially District 13 is more organized mm-hmm. than the Rebel Alliance. But the Rebel Alliance seems like so much more fun than District 13. Wouldn't Hunger Games have been potentially more interesting if you didn't have Gale or Peta? Because, but like instead, like you had Katniss, and then you had like a Han figure who just kind of well, every movie's in. better if you have a Han figure, and it's they're always trying to create the Han Solo character, but it's hard to do without Harrison Ford. It's true. Yeah, it's true. We have to clone him. There's a a look like Vader and Tarkin are like you know waiting for the attack, and Vader's just like this will be a day long remember blah blah. Tarkin has this hilarious look on his face. He just kind of like, if you say so, weirdo. <laughs> he just kind of like looks back and frowns. And it's like, Ugh, whatever. Uh, I mean, part of me almost thinks that Peter Cushing is wasted in this movie, but like he adds. Well, he's perfect. I mean, he does exactly what he needs presence. to do. Yeah. And yeah, then they just give Luke an X-Wing for their like seemingly suicide mission, too. Yeah. Like, Leia, like, gives Luke a little kiss on the cheek there. Like, does she know she's sending him to his probable death? Yeah, I, I wonder. Like, well, the budget guy for the Rebellion has got to be like, okay, so we've just thrown away, like, $75 million in hardware. Mm-hmm. I mean, the life is, that's cheap. They got to pay off Han and Chewie. We could, yeah, well, they paid him, like, a fortune. The kind of fortune that comes on a giant cart. <laughs> yes. Well, like, I don't know how money works in this universe, but apparently there are, like, cases of ammunition involved. Yeah, like toolbox of like currency. <laughs> I guess you could just like fly over Tatooine and just like drop those mm-hmm. cases down to Jabba's palace with a note like, we're cool now, right? <laughs> and then uh, conveniently, R2 is also like, he slots right into uh, an X Wing there to be the co pilot, basically. So, I mean, the, the X Wings, like, you need. Uh, a droid to help you fly it? Yeah, it's the R2 is technically an astromech droid. He does the astro navigation, like lights, uh, light speed calculations and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, like, there's no. I don't know. There's no, like, onboard computer that does this on the X Wing? I guess not, no. Don't ask too many questions. It's cool. <laughs> this, the Star Wars movies rely on the rule of cool. They sure do. Mm-hmm. Also, remember, at this point, R2 has not had his memory wiped. Only C-3PO has. Yeah. What do you think about the Y-Wings? They all seemed lame to me. Like, the X-Wings yeah, all seem much cooler. Yeah, the X-Wings are cool. The Y-Wings just look dumb. Mm-hmm. And then, amazingly, the, the Trench Star, that whole attack is, like, 12 minutes long. Yeah. Uh, it just I mean, this movie really just knows how to keep moving and, like, not wear out its welcome in any one particular scene. Well, any base where critical to its defense is that you have to launch your own fighters to protect its, like, crevices <laughs> and its, like, flaps, like, that seems unnecessary to me. Well, they may have just never expected, you know, snub fighters to be trying to... Like, Luke, like, his first, like, attack, he just, like, strafe runs, like, the surface for no particular reason. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what he's thinking he was going to accomplish there. I mean, <laughs> like, I maybe we shouldn't have let this guy fly. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, the, yeah, I'm, I want to see more like him zigging to the left and right, just because he's like trying mm-hmm. to figure out the controls. Like, I'm amazed that he got out of the atmosphere. Yeah, <laughs> really. <laughs> but I mean, I guess like part of this, like 
the secret weapon to this assault was that the Empire wasn't prepared for the sheer gall mm-hmm. of the Rebellion fighting back. Basically, yeah, I think you had, kind of have to go that. And they have all those like surface guns, but the, I guess it's hard to like pick off fighters with them. Well, after the the attack's over, because I mean, do we need to say more about the dog run? It, it, it's well, I mean, Luke switching off his targeting computer is pretty insane when you think about it. Like these people are all waiting back on Yavin Four. Like in thirty seconds, they could be dead. Yeah, like, the entire planet's about to get destroyed, and Luke's just like, "Nah, I got this." Yeah, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? Like, there's nobody like yelling in his ear. They're just like, "All right, I want to see how this plays out." Oh, as the the seasoned experts have already failed with their targeting computers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And if you haven't seen this movie, like, I'm scared of you, you weird. <laughs> uh, but, like, when they get back to the hangar and, like, C-3PO is just bemoaning the damage done to his, you know, potential lover there about, you know, R2. And Luke's just like, he'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, like, whatever. He can be repaired. Just a droid, after all. <laughs> you know who can't be repaired? Biggs. <laughs> or Porkins. Yeah. Hey, Wedge Liz. Thus, you know, creating the legend of Wedge Antilles. Yeah, yeah. Ewan McGregor's uncle. Star Wars, yeah. Ewan McGregor's uncle. I like that. Like uh, in the Force Awakens, Finn and like Poe Dameron's jackets look like the evolution of like Luke's jacket at the end there. Yeah, his like weird seventies. Like like this was supposed to be like the dress look. I guess I I don't even know. <laughs> it's like you put on some nice clothes. Uh, one thing I love about Han Solo, he's wearing jeans through the whole movie, just yeah. with like like in boots with like stripes on the side. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm so cool, I'll, I'll wear Levi's. Well, the ceremony, which is great, it looks like the cross between like a sci-fi prom and a wedding. Well, and like, and like a Lenny Reifenstahl movie. Like, there's a little, yeah. little bit of a, like a Nazi vibe there. Yeah, yeah. But it's like at some point, it's like, okay, guys, now that we've all stood here for mm-hmm. way too long for our standing applause, shouldn't we get on some ships and get the fuck out of here? Because the Empire will be coming. Yeah, there's going to be like 40 Star Destroyers showing up. Uh, no medal for Chewie either. Yeah, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He just stands out there and growls at everyone. (laughs) That's what he's growling about. I think I read, like, one of the making of things that, like, all the extras were just basically, like, loudly talking shit at them as they walked down the aisle. I bet. Like... And, like, Lucas would have to, like, go to Alec Guinness, and Alec Guinness would go to, like, the crew and the extras and be like, all right, guys, let's give a good take. As a regular thing. Yeah. From what I understand, this set of this movie was fucking hostile because <laughs> nobody believed in it. Everyone thought it was like a shitty B movie. I'm utterly amazed that Alan Ladd Jr. like like greenlit this project. I don't. I mean, I feel like if you actually saw like you know a a, a finished version of it months before, I don't know how you wouldn't think this is going to be huge. I don't know. So I mean, it, there is that that bit of trivia where. Uh, uh, like Lucas showed this movie to his like Brat Pack, you know, seventies auteur like uh, ga- mm-hmm. gang of friends, including De Palma and Spielberg. Film school brats, yeah, yeah, film school brats. And De Palma, much like Lucas, thought this was the worst movie he'd ever seen, <laughs> and it was only Spielberg who correctly predicted this movie would make millions of dollars. And this is pretty much the moment where Spielberg and Lucas created like the, the popcorn, blockbuster, yeah, yeah, the blockbuster popcorn thriller. Um. I'm always fascinated the fact that they did the casting for this. Like De Palma and Lucas did it side by side for like Carrie. The fact that you had like oh, yeah. Harrison Ford auditioning for the William Cap role in Carrie. Harrison Ford he wasn't interested in acting because he made more money doing carpentry. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, like, I, I think about, like, what would have happened if they had switched careers and Harrison Ford was, like, the greatest American hero? Oh, that'd been terrible. <laughs> or wonderful. Oh, so speaking of the Hunger Games, um, I meant to do this last week, but this works this week as well. Uh, there's uh, some YouTube thing, the the Screen Junkies movie fights were debating what Star Wars character would win the Hunger Games. I thought that would be fun to discuss. Mm. I no. guess you would say all six movies only canon. Huh. That seemed okay. fair. I mean, I don't know if you want to limit that further, but. Uh, so final, final like five would definitely be your Vader slash Anakin, Obi-Wan, maybe Mace Windu, uh, Grievous, maybe Palpatine, Yoda. I don't know. Like it's, it's like who, who all are you throwing in there? I guess, you know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of star Wars characters. I'd like to think that Boba Fett dies relatively quickly. I have to think force sensitive is more likely to win. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was, I almost picked Chewie mm-hmm. just cause I feel like he'd do pretty well and climb trees and whatnot. But then I remembered how easily he got tricked by that stupid trap in return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. So I had to take Chewie off. Um, who would you go like if you had to if you had to place your money on one person who would it be? I'd like to think like a like a Vader or Darth Maul, maybe Yoda. I want to go with Obi Wan. I think. Okay. I think Obi Wan. I mean, he beat Vader. He beat Anakin. Mm-hmm. Anakin beat Mace Windu. Mace Windu beat the Emperor. So I feel like there's some sort of kind of you know, you're, levels there. You're applying like Highlander rules. Yes. Uh, but I feel like Obi-Wan would be willing to get his hands dirty a little bit. Hmm. I don't think Chewie lasts that long at all, actually. Because he's so tall and lumbering. Yeah, true. I just figured he could like climb trees. Yeah. Also, I don't know how, I mean, is he in the cornucopia? Is he rushing for his like laser crossbow? Well, I mean, that's the question. We all know like... how you feel about crossbows. That, well, Chewie's the exception. Huh? It's not. It's not a real crossbow. It's just a cool-looking blaster. It's a bowcaster. Um, well, the question would be like, do they? You know, the Jedi don't get their lightsabers. I don't think. I mean, maybe there's like one in the Hunger Games. Well, I mean, I, I like that. Like prequel-wise, the Jedi have already gone through the Hunger Games, the Attack of the Clones. <laughs> a little, yeah. I don't think Kit Fisto lasts very long, <sighs> and I. I've always been uncomfortable with that character. Because his name is Kit Fisto, and he always smiles. And it's always smiling, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I hear that, and I think Jared Fogle. Uh, Eat fresh. Uh, So, make one change. What would you change about this movie if you could change one thing? uh, I mean, I can't divorce it from, like, its age. It still holds up with, like, modern movies. I mean, there was, you know, there's things I might like, like modernize it. I don't think that it would work in like just like the special editions way. Obviously, you can't go and add in CGI like backflips for Alec Guinness. <laughs> but I mean, you know, if you could reconceptualize it with like more modern action scenes at times, you know, uh, sure. But other than that, I think it's it's great. I mean, you just want to spend more time with these characters, anyways. But it's a pretty good introduction to this entire world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I could make one change, it would be to add a few more women to the cast. Because uh, yeah. there's fucking two in the whole movie. Like, at least, like, maybe some female Imperial officers and X-Wing pilots. 
it maybe replaced General Dodonna with Mon Mothma, which I feel like would make more sense because she shows oh. up in Return of the Jedi and you have no idea who she is. You know, maybe not solely white people, too. Yeah, that too. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I mean, I feel like the movie really holds up for being, you know, almost 40 years old now. Mm. All right. Well, power rankings. Uh, So I only have eight. Really? Yeah. I have 11. Wow. Do you want to do it in reverse order again? Sure. So my number 11 is the charred remains of Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru. Fantastic. That's, I just, that's my favorite Halloween costume. A PG movie. I always wondered, like, is that what happens when you get shot with a blaster? Or do they use some sort of weird death ray? Like, how did that happen? It's like, it, it's just skeletons. It's not like just they got burned. It's like their flesh is completely disintegrated. My make one change, I would have had Luke stare at their remains a little bit longer. <laughs> just like a horrified look on his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and then well, have everyone go, anyone else hungry? Yeah, I'll, I'll blow through the rest of these till we get to eight. Uh, number ten, Wedge Antilles, of course. <laughs> okay. Hey, Wedge Liz, he's the the only one that survived two Death Star runs. Yeah. Uh, number nine, Grand Moff Tarkin. Really, number nine? Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of good characters in this, you know. Um, and what do you have for number eight? Chewie. I do as well. Yeah, Chewbacca. I feel like Chewie elevates himself in Empire, but for now he's a little bit... I feel like they make him a little smarter in the next two movies. He seems a little bit more of, like, basically the pet in this movie. Well, he's he's raging shag carpet in mm-hmm. Walking carpet. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like... Han is describing a, a companion who can't be reasoned with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although it, you do get the sense that it's a little bit of an, an act. Like it's, yeah. it's like Han's like the good cop, you know, it's like, oh, don't worry. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll keep him in mind. Well, you have to keep in mind. It's like, here's someone who becomes so enraged at losing a simple game that he'll rip your arm off. But he's also like a very capable co-pilot. Well, does he actually get that enraged or does Han, like, is that just a little setup that they do to like, so Chewie gets his way. I always wonder about stuff like that. Well, I got the impression too that Chewie's the one who goes and like brings in the clients to like their <laughs> special booth in the corner yeah. of the bar. Yeah, Chewie's like their salesman. Yeah. So uh, seven. seven, I have uh, Co R2D2 C3PO as a buddy act, the Lauren Hardy of uh, droids. I have the exact same thing, yes. This is going to be a fun this one. This is going to be weird, yeah. Who do you have six? Actually, I have six. I have Darth Vader. Jesus Christ, are you serious? Yeah, it pains me to have him that low. We did not look at each other's list. Yeah, I have Darth Vader six as well. Really? Wow. Yeah. So here's I mean, Vader, Vader, he's... There's just better people to put in front of him, I guess. I mean, there's a ton of good characters in this movie. Well, yeah, as my number five will show, like he he's outshined by a lot of people. Thank God his Tie Fighter spins away uh, bizarrely at the end of the you know, Death Star thing. Lucas had to fight to put that shot in. Like none of the other people working on it wanted to do it because they're like, no, that makes it seem like there's going to be a sequel, which was like a bad thing back then. Yeah. Well, you know. I want to say in the the potential sequel of Splinter of the Mind's Eye, he's in it very little, mm-hmm. um, and yet this is this is your, I mean, rightfully so. They played up the legend of the villain in the second one. They they knew they had yeah. a great character, a great look on their hands. My number five is actually Tarkin. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think I need to explain that. I mean, Peter Cushing, he's he's all presence. He's mm-hmm. all like it's villainous, like cheekbones. Yeah. Uh, minor five is Princess Leia. Okay. She's just lots of fun, very spunky. And I'm so glad too that like uh like 
Peter Cushing's like uh, Hammer Horror better half. Uh, Christopher Lee also eventually found a way mm-hmm. in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Uh, my number four is Luke. Mine as well. Luke Skywalker would have been a little bit higher if you weren't so whiny. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, my number three is Princess Leia. Okay. Yeah. I have Obi Wan number three. Okay. Uh, I mean, Obi Wan, Alec Guinness. He, I feel like him and Harrison Ford are what make the movie really work. They bring the gravitas and like the fun to it. Mm-hmm. Which is why my number two is Obi Wan. Excellent. My number two is cheating. Uh, I put John Williams. Smart. Yeah, uh, just because this movie is nothing without John Wayne's music. We haven't really talked about it much, but I mean, I don't know what what else there is to say. I mean, if you've ever watched like a a Star Wars trailer or something without the John Wayne's music, it's weird. Like, it just feels totally unnatural. Well, as George Lucas says, that's what you're there for. Mm-hmm. You're there for the music, and we're going to give you some nice visuals too. But like, I mean, the moment his value will be proved to you that moment in the theater. That like heartbeat away from when the op- the first note of the music plays, mm-hmm. that when it bursts to life, da-da! like it, every time I watch one of these movies that happens, I remember going to the theater for Phantom Menace, sitting in that midnight showing, thinking to myself, this can't be real. <laughs> like, obviously, somebody's going to come out in a second with me and these like 300 people in the theater with me. And they're going to reveal this was all an elaborate joke. There is no prequel. There is no Star Wars movie. But no, then the music bursts to life and there's the opening crawl and you're like, oh, fuck. Well, if you ever watch the original trailer for the first Star Wars, I mean, it's it's super cheesily cut, but there's no music for it, which just makes everything like just hearing those shots without the music behind them sounds unnatural. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's your number? I mean, I'm just two? saying real quick. John Williams is so good. I feel like he should just be given a, a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> My number one is Han. What was your two? Obi-Wan. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have Han number one as well. I mean, it's Han Solo. What are you going to yeah. do? Yeah. Well, I mean, Obi-Wan kind of saves the movie that's not necessarily needing to be saved 25 mm. minutes in. And then Han, like, continues that progress. He's just so... He fumbles. He's, like, imperfect. He's an asshole. He's hilarious. <laughs> he's charming. Well, he's, he's a hero. He's a scoundrel. In every scene, he's clearly thinking about himself the whole time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's it's really refreshing to have characters who have their own self-interest in scenes. And it's like they're talking shit about Obi-Wan as soon as Obi-Wan leaves. It's like flirting with Leia as soon as he gets a chance. Well, I mean, he's, he's, he's adding dimension to a trope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, he became, the Han Solo character became a trope. I mean, this is like, basically, he's creating the archetype of your classic modern action movie hero for like the next 30 years here yeah a han solo type all right well that He's, was star wars can you imagine han solo and like lone star hanging out <laughs> lone star you know secretly space balls does not work at all without rick moranis like he's Darth Helmet is that whole movie. Everything else is like pretty hackish, but Dark Helmet just makes it all happen. Evil will always win because good is dumb. Yes. Okay. Well, we will be back next time to talk about the Empire Strikes Back. Any final thoughts on Star Wars? No, just you know, enjoy talking about this movie. I'm just really looking forward to Force Awakens. I could talk about Star Wars forever. Yeah, definitely looking forward to Force Awakens. I mean these. 
doing these it's it's good to rewatch and also it just takes my mind off that you know it's like three weeks now less than three weeks we're getting very close um and which by the way we will do some sort of podcast like we did for mocking day mm-hmm. after like whatever week that is yep can't wait all right well we'll be back next time Bye. <laughs>